Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Lance Kuruyama. He's the program manager at Trade Partner HQ. Lance, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Good to see you, Tats, as always. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's always good. We've gotten to know each other a bit more than just social media. So that's always nice on the relationship building side. Absolutely. What I, what I always like, you're always upbeat, uh, humorous, and you kind of have this entrepreneurial attitude. Yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty much from being a disorganized kid and having to think on your feet and identify quick solutions that could work out. So disorganized kids, what do you mean by that? Oh, you know, I'd be the one that's always, I could do the work, I could do whatever was asked of me, but I'd wait until the last quarter to really get going and always squeak through at the end. Maybe I like the adrenaline, I'm not sure what it is. Has that evolved or you've sort of kind of adapted that? Like how has your, you know, what, what was your temperament and how do you operate now? Now I'm actually super organized. I get a big head start on things, you know, in construction, that's not an endearing trait. So if something does pop up at the last second, I do have that ability to go into quick fix mode though. Yeah. I mean, wait, when did that transition occur? Because not everyone makes that transition. <laughs> Oh, I would say that happened really when I started working. You know, people just, they don't care about the result as much as how much you made them worry along the way. And that's, people just tend not to want to deal with that, even if you got it done. Walk me through that concept. You said, you know, worry, you know, they don't want to worry about it. So walk me through that. Yeah, you know, I I guess I never realized that people enjoy seeing progress along the way, right? I guess if you're building a house and getting ready to flip, or you're flipping a house and you saw nothing happen for the first 75% of the project, but it gets done every time, you don't feel great about it. It doesn't leave a lot of room for um, the hiccups that come along the way. Got it. So basically, hand-holding them through the process. There's not a big black box. If something is going well, they know about it. If something's not going well, they don't hear about it. When it blows up, they, they see it coming a mile away. Yeah, yeah. And I, I learned that. I mean, I really learned that from some of the mentors that I had early on. You know, they said you get stuff done, but it's tough to watch. It's just mayhem at the end. And, you know, I, I don't know what it is. It was just a, a childhood trait. I'm the kid that would do the homework, forget to turn it in. It would have been an A, but now it's a D <laughs> when I finally turned it in. Yeah. So by now you've d- adapted. Now you've, you've had a, a, you know, you had some experience running a business or getting getting a business off the ground. Um, what did you learn there? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, the first business that really kind of used my imagination, it was a company I started when I was a kid called InFocus Multimedia. And it originally started as taking pictures. And I planned on printing out all of these wonderful photos that I took, but it turned out I'm not a very good photographer. But I did identify a need for printing, like a large-scale printing. So I gathered up all of my money, bought a printer, and I actually started working with wedding photographers in the Midwest. This was like, I don't know, 2001 or so. And I realized that they didn't have a way to print those pictures out at a good cost to upsell to their clients. 
And I would just set the queue, hired my little brother to cut and put the printers in the shipping and or the photos in the shipping containers. And then I'd go surfing. <laughs> yeah. But Walmart put me out of business. You know, they started the super centers and everybody could print their own. And next thing you know, I was out. Yeah. Looks like you've kind of taken an interest on the operational side. I mean, being not organized when you're younger to being an ops must have been a fun uh, journey. You know, it's a, it was a gradual transition. I didn't even realize that it was that weird until I talked to some people that I'd worked with in the past and they couldn't believe it. You know, my interest in ops actually happened when I was in sales. I worked at a computer training center and, you know, to, to make it cost effective and make it make sense for the business, you had to have at least half the class full, right? So I, I noticed that we had a, a weird class schedule and I'd sell, you know, people into the class, but they'd always get canceled and it would get snagged up in operations. So I said, well, let me figure out this operations thing so I can sell some. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So I basically, if you're a salesperson, right, being dis- disorganized or not aware about operations is a disadvantage. It is. You should just accept it for what it is. Or you can say, how can I help with the operations? Do we cut a class schedule in half and fill everything up and then add classes as needed? Or do we just keep going down this path of disappointed salespeople and disappointed clients? I mean, I took it very serious when somebody would schedule training because you have to get time off, you have to get coverage. And to hear a week out that it's canceled is just not great business. Yeah. Now, from there, I think your roles more encompass both sides, operations and business and dev and sales. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I went to work for um, an e-waste company after that. And I'm actually still with the same team. They sold that e-waste business. I was part of the um, transition team. And then I came over here afterwards. Did you pull the team over that you were working with? Is that how it happened? Because you said... No, they pulled me over. <laughs> they got me to leave Hawaii for California. Was that was that a a simple choice because you work with you know these people that you like to work with? Or did they have to really convince you? No, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think I wanted more of a challenge and they were kind of getting into this space of equipment salvage and data center work. And that's been really interesting to me. So, you know, I mean, e-waste was fun. You learned a lot at that time, but it's really just scaling up your solution, right? You can't, you can't really create. You're just working on the same process and trying to improve it. Mm, yeah, because there's only so much stuff coming in, right? Yeah. Now, well, the stuff, uh, the people that don't understand the salvage, the stuff that you're you're doing or the stuff that you're looking at, what are the fundamentals there of the business? Um, the fundamentals there really come down to working with your partners, whether it's another trade, whether it's the general contractor or the um, owner of the project. It's just communication, making sure that you're cognizant and considerate of everybody's schedule, right? I think considerate is the big thing because you can be aware, but if you don't, really can take that into consideration it's for not yeah give me an example of how these considerations come together in that process okay well like if we know that you know if i'm walking down and i see on the schedule that you have a drywall and paint guy coming through but i know that i have to tear that wall out to get a piece of equipment out and i see that our schedules aren't lined up right you know it's my job to bring it to the the general contractor's attention because that's just going to be a rework that's built back to the client and it's unnecessary yeah, for sure. Now, you talked to me earlier about some of this 
uh, pre pre qualification stuff that you're referring to. You said that unless you do it, you don't know what it is. Walk me through what that is. Yeah, so pre qualification is a process that's put in place to make sure that a subcontractor is in a good financial financial position to be doing work with you. You know, you don't want them going bankrupt in the middle of a project, and also checking their safety ratings to make sure that they're in alignment with your core values. I mean, everybody talks about safety, but if you're letting out somebody on site that has a terrible safety rating and a terrible record, I mean, that's really on you, right? You want to protect everybody that's there and get them home safe. What is the challenge of this process? Because this sounds like, you know, this there there could just be a checklist somewhere that people go by. What what do you find is the challenge that you're or the problem you're trying to solve here? Yeah. So the, the problem is that a lot of it is done online through you know different portals that are you know completely outsourced, but the, the client or the general contractor chooses the uh, the fields and documents that are required. It's more of a mindset shift that I'm trying to put people through. It's you don't just put it in and hope for the best and go a year later, oh wait, we never got pre-qualified. You have to have a process to follow up with it. And once you're pre-qualified, how to get the word out that this is what we do and we're now in your system. I think that's people look at it as the process when you're just putting in the data, but that's really just that's a part of the process. And there's nobody there to guide you. <laughs> it sounds like there's a connection between operations and sales and marketing there, getting the word out. Yeah. And you know, the thing is the systems a lot of times don't prompt you to tell you that you're missing a piece of information or that they want an updated copy of something. So, you know, if this document here needs to be no more than 30 days old, and then you put it in the system and that document's good, but they're asking for something else while you're looking for that, this is expiring. Yeah. It's part of the challenge that these processes for different companies, not the same. Yeah, they're they're very similar, but not the same. I mean, some contractors just want a W nine and you know some references, and you're good to go. But I'm finding that to be the exception rather than the norm. Mm. It's I feel like a lot of people just need some guidance on it. That's when I first started this, I was looking for somebody that I could hire to do it for me. <laughs> That's how this business came to be. I saw a real a real gap in knowledge and information, and having suffered through so many of them, I've seen. A lot of the variations that are going to come your way. Yeah. I mean, you've seen a lot of these things that happen in the construction area. What are the other gaps and problems that you encounter personally or you know others encounter within the construction industry? A lot of it is communication that needs to take place. And I think people are trying to throw software or methodologies at it, but it really comes down to just sitting down at a table and talking to somebody. I mean, the more tech we throw at stuff, and tech is great. I'm, I'm a big fan of construction tech, but if you just keep throwing it in place of actually communicating with people, the problem's only going to get worse. Yeah. What are the companies or people that you've seen do this the best? Where are the examples? Some of the companies I've seen do it best are like XL Construction here in the Bay Area, Level 10 Construction as well. I mean, they just, their project managers and superintendents are accessible. I mean, they, you call them and you'll get a call back within a couple of hours, which is huge instead of just playing RFI tag. Like, I feel like everybody's so busy trying to cover their butts that they're just, instead of actually solving the problem, they'd rather just send an RFI to show somebody that they did it. I said, that doesn't help. I mean, especially when it's a, it's an urgent matter, right? Just pick up the phone. Yeah. 
So if a company, you know, hears about this, they realize that they have a, a challenge with this, you know, it's one of the leaders, what would your process be to get them on the right path? What would be your sort of game plan to get, get everyone on the same page? Are you talking in regards to communication or? Yeah, c- communication. Like, you know, communication is a big thing, right? But mm-hmm. how would you, like you said, these companies are the ones that are doing it right. How do you get there? If you're not there and you realize that the communication is is a problem in your organization, what would be your game plan on getting them moving in the right direction? I think it's, uh, I don't want to say face-to-face meetings because that gets people all worked up. But I really do think that having individual conversations matter, right? Like instead of just sending an email to 44 people from your office, drive out there, take a look at the project and really see what the defect is or what the issue is and try to solve it and then recap it in an email rather than trying to play hot potato that way. I think that's the biggest difference. I see their PMs and superintendents really out there trying to help problem solve rather than just kicking the can down the road to somebody else. Mm, yeah. So more of an intimate approach, you know, go see mm-hmm. what's happening or have individual conversations, mainly because there's some people that are probably going to be on board quicker than others, I guess. Yeah. And it also opens things up to collaboration, right? I mean, if you tell everybody, let's try to figure this out and really brainstorm and come up with something, you know, I don't think people have brainstorming in group emails because I could just, come back to be pie on your face. I think it's better to, for everybody to look at it and, you know, come up with a collaborative idea that you can kind of stress test as you talk it through. It's better. It's easier to just toss general ideas around in conversation than on an email, right? In written form. Yeah. Like when I, I've done some ideas out there that weren't the best, but it, it's more of a laugh in person, but on email, that would just be terrible. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the, the ideas that sound silly could spark another idea that is worth pursuing, right? Yeah. The, the funny thing is a lot of times, like we're moving heavy industrial equipment and you might have a painter that comes by and said, Hey, on this other project, that's how these other guys do this. And we're like, well, never would have crossed my mind to pair up the equipment that way. But, you know, so nobody would have thought to ask a painter, but he was on site when he saw it happen elsewhere. So there's information all around you. Yeah. So there's information around you. How do you stop it from becoming too much though? Because we're bombarded with information. What do you do? Where do you get your information and how do you make stop it from getting, you know, too much? I try and limit my sources. <laughs> I used to subscribe to every newsletter and every possible thing that I could get my hands on, but like you're saying it really started to just become static in my brain. But um, yeah, I think limiting the sources, unless it's something that's, I, I do like listening to podcasts and reading articles on things outside of this industry, just because you're getting a lot of the same information recycled and reframed. So I'd rather get some new new stuff in there and see if I can apply it somehow. What are some new things that help you, Jock? Because even if you try to look at new things, sometimes some of the software and the feeds like to kind of put you in a bubble. Oh, yeah. I just get out of the bubble. I just go to different sources completely. What, what have been some examples of things you just found like, you know, that's inspired other things? Like what, what is outside the bubble for you? So outside of the bubble for me is uh, lean manufacturing, uh, logistics, trucking. 
like trucking's always been interesting to me because that is a factor in our in our work, right? We have to move the equipment. But they're also a very fragmented industry that's still trying to figure out how to how to pull things together, right? I mean, a lot of them are taking terrible like rates from brokers just because it's the norm. I'm like, why would you do that? You know, I've talked to some truckers who, you know, the, the load may have cost us three thousand dollars to move cross country and that guy's taking home a thousand after you know, with his gas and everything. And I'm like, why would you leave 2000 on the table for somebody else? But they don't look at it as a business. You know, a lot of them just look at it as independence from working for somebody else. But in a sense, you're still working for somebody else. You're working for the broker. It's a problem that they have. And I have to just take that information and back out. Because if I dive too deep, it's not going to help me in any... <laughs> <laughs> so so the trucking area is interesting like so that's one of the challenges you see in the trucking industry but what what other things are interesting about it that maybe someone that hasn't jumped into it too much would wouldn't know uh, i mean i talked to a guy who he used to do like cross-country hauls of just different things right with the flatbed but then he ended up hearing about a contract to haul was it base rocker it's a base rock or something like that and he ended up getting his minority business enterprise certification. And then he latched on with a construction, like a, a heavy civil contractor that needed, you know, minority business enterprise to meet their quota for their contract. And that guy got rich off of it. He, he became their um, sole source almost. He bought like 10 more trucks and just kept hauling for all of their contracts because that's a category where most people aren't picking up the MBE credit. You know, you're usually getting it in final cleanup and demolition and those things, but that's a category that he had all to himself. Wow, that's great. I love hearing those stories. Is there any other kind of stories related to your background or you've heard that you find, you know, you go back to or you remember something interesting? Ah, uh, you know, there's nothing in particular. It's all just kind of a soup of past information. <laughs> I mean, I used to read a lot of like um, Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur and all of that stuff. And a lot of those stories just kind of blend together. You know, there's some that I do go back to every now and then. I mean, you know, a lot of it was like burnout, mental health. You know, I think one of them was like this CEO of Ariba Networks. I think his name was Dominic Orr. And it was just talking about how he was like a nonstop machine and he had a... I think their culture was something like brutal honesty or something like that. And it wasn't, it wasn't in a, you know, it was brutal. I think that's kind of the takeaway that I have from that. It was brutal. Right. And that doesn't really lend itself to today's workforce. So the story is just someone had a culture of brutal honesty and it, was it helping that organization or are you saying it's just not for every company? Yeah. Well, he overworked himself. He had like a, a bad relationship with his family, his kids. And um, it all kind of came to a head where he ended up getting some coaching and some help and trying to change things around. But by then the culture, you know, had a life of its own, right? Just because he says, Hey, we're going to, we're going to try to be nicer to each other. It's that business was already had its own life. It's true. It's you set a precedence for certain things and it just ingrains in everyone's thinking. Yeah. And then, you know, the people that you hired are, are built for that profile. So they're not all of a sudden going to say, Hey guys, let's all collaborate together. They're like, no, that's my sale. I need to focus on this. Forget what you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. What else are you curious about? 
You know, I, I'm really big lately on people just taking the first step towards something. Like I've been pretty cautious most of my adult life as far as like, I get ideas almost to a launch and then I just pull out. Like I don't have time or I, I just, what if I fail? And that's really been such a limiting belief. I've seen a lot of the ideas that I had come up on the market later. And I'm like, if only you had the courage to do it. That's, you know, it's, I realize it's not courage. It's just having, not being afraid of failure. Like now my, my fear of missing out is bigger than my fear of failure. That's cool. Is there anything I didn't ask you but you wanted to share? Nothing in particular. I think, I think that's, it's always a good time talking to you. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.